0: Today's scripture reading is from John 11, 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Well, we are continuing our series through the I Am statements of Jesus in the the book of John. And uh, we're encountering who he is. And, and I think about it, it, particularly in this time of a, a lot of suffering, uh, maybe on all kinds of, of different levels. And, and if we were to poll the congregation, we would uh, experience a, a lot of reports of various kinds of suffering. I, I'm not sure that it's actually helpful to uh, compare them. And in fact, I, I think it's not helpful to compare. Uh, to either diminish or think that ours is so great that we can't come through it. Uh, But there is some level of suffering, right? So we have this passage where Jesus says, here's the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's saying that in the midst of this particular context. His friend, Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus, is dead. And, uh, And he brings this statement of hope. Martha's response actually is the same uh, initial response as Mary's that comes in the next section. It says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I thought about this question, often we phrase it as if, if only. If only this particular thing were different. I, I thought of uh, this weekend uh, being, uh, being very, very close to the end of football season. I, I love uh, football. And we have two games today in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. The college football season has already ended. But it's a little bit painful to think about watching uh, the Buffalo Bills play today because I uh, think back to the game two weeks ago with the Colts, and, and there are a lot of moments of, oh, if only. If only uh, they had not run that play on that down. If only they had not gone for it on fourth down. If only Rodrigo had made his chip shot field goal, which he never misses, but missed in this particular case, Right the the cults could potentially still be be in it. So it's a little bit painful, right? We do it in silly ways like that, associated with entertainment and missing out on some of the joy of that entertainment as Colts fans. But we do it in more significant ways in our lives of if only I had done this differently uh, in my life, if only I'd handled this relationship differently, if only I'd made this decision differently, then then things wouldn't be so messed up. Or if only, and we, we ask these, these questions or bring these complaints to God, if only this were different, and, and maybe for many of us, it's if only there weren't a, a pandemic happening right now, or maybe it's if only I had this particular uh, debt uh, wiped out, then uh, then things would be okay. If only, if only, if only, and we could all come up with different lists and maybe, maybe long ones. Um, and yet, what we find is Jesus in the midst of uh, this desire to see death go away, and the pain and the brokenness of death go away. This is Martha's response, right? If only you had been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, the, here she is in this midst, in, in the midst of this mourning, this midst in the midst of this suffering, experiencing uh, the reality of the fact that this world is not as it should be, and and so wherever we stand in the midst of that, whether we're experiencing some of that suffering now, saying the statement, if only this were different, if only this would go away, Jesus comes and he speaks this amazing, powerful word of hope. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to look at three points as we move toward uh, the the implications of this statement for us. And and they are... um, this question of how do we deal with the mess or the suffering? How does Jesus deal with it? And then how do we respond to what Jesus does? What are the implications of the way that he steps into it? Uh, Let let me pray and we will uh, take a look. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring us the hope that comes through you and the fact that you are the resurrection and the life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do think it's helpful for us to see that the first response here is Martha. And she goes with this. It it, it is on a level of complaint to God, a complaint to Jesus. If you had been here, verse 21, my brother would not have have died. Now, it's appropriate. There's some level of it. It's appropriate for her to come. And they enter into this this intellectual uh, conversation about what's going on. And it is in contrast to the passage that comes next where Mary says the exact same thing, but then she weeps and Jesus enters into her weeping and, and weeps with her. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but here there is this intellectual conversation uh, about the resurrection and the promises that come from Jesus. Martha, though, brings this complaint to God with both a bit of complaint and a bit of trusting. It's echoing the Psalms that regularly do this, this God, where are you? But looking to God in, in hope. This is the scripture given to us in this moment. This, We can't fix the world around us, and we can't fix our own uh, broken hearts. We need the Lord. And things are not the way they're supposed to be. So we come in the midst of suffering, and we, we complain to God. I think Martha's not doing this. We'll get to her in a second. But it's helpful to note that sometimes we have these intellectual complaints, and, and we bring them with not with the trusting that Martha does with Jesus, some, some level of believing that he can still ask his father for things and, and he will work. We, we actually come oftentimes with just doubts, just questions about God and what he's doing and his goodness. Uh, and this is true uh, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not. And, and the reality is that one of the questions that, is, that trips up the, probably the most people and even making a decision to follow Jesus is, uh, the question about suffering and the, and the question of, you know, it could, could a God, a good God allow, uh, evil, pointless evil to happen in this world. That's one of the, the questions that is, is often asked a good God couldn't allow pointless evil to happen. Right. And, and yet I think that, uh, that in that question, in that question of could a good God allow pointless evil to happen, we we make the mistake of actually going all the way back to the fall, Genesis 3, putting ourselves, wanting to be in the position of God to actually judge uh, what is going on in the world. Because we assume that if evil is pointless to me, If if brokenness and mess and suffering is pointless to me, then it must be pointless overall. We can't see the bigger picture. Even if we would recognize that there have been times either in our lives or in the lives of others where uh, suffering or brokenness or mess has, has led to positive things. We make judgments about particular kinds of brokenness and suffering and mess that we would say it's pointless and so it must be pointless overall. The problem is that we're the creatures and God is the creator and he's able to see the bigger picture. Uh, we don't have that kind of perspective. I, I love stories where we're, we're drawn into a story and, and there's e- either the author of the story or a character in the story that uh, that we can kind of uh, trust has uh, a plan in place and, uh, and that we can have some confidence of the way that things are going to turn out. Um, that it, it can take away some of the Stress or anxiety. I recently watched a, a show that's fairly new to Netflix called Lupin. And uh, Lupin is the main character, and he is um, uh, a, a, a. And on some levels, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, ethical issues that we could talk about, and we're not going to go there. He's the hero of the story. Uh, he is a, a, like a gentleman robber uh, in London. And uh, one of the episodes opens with him in prison and you think, oh no, he's in prison. uh, He's been uh, sent away and this is a very bad thing. It doesn't take very long to realize that uh, as he is in control of this story that he's there for a reason and that it's actually accomplishing something good. But what we needed was the curtain to be drawn back. We needed to get the bigger picture to understand what was happening. Uh, why, that it w- it, why it would be a good thing for him to be uh, in prison. And, and so it, it's this re- reminder that we don't always have the bigger picture. We don't always understand uh, what is really happening in the world. And that's difficult, I, I realize, because we see uh, incredible brokenness and suffering. But I, I think it's also helpful to note that, that suffering also points us to the, to the reality of, of who uh, God is and the way that he defines what is good and true in this world. So C.S. Lewis, uh, as he thought about this idea of suffering and, and the, the questions that it brings about God's existence, uh, this is what he said as he had this argument uh, that suffering pointed against even the existence of God. He said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended upon saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that and Lewis isn't saying that, that atheists don't have morals or some ideas of, of justice, uh, but that there are some inconsistencies in holding those things. That, that These questions that we have about the un- injustice and the suffering that exists in this world uh, is not just uh, easily put aside if we reject a good guy. And in fact, what we see in this story is that God entering into that mess is actually Uh, our best hope, enter into our own mess and the ways in which we contribute to what is broken and unjust and allows suffering in this world. But maybe we're not asking uh, that particular question. Maybe we're like Martha coming with questions of suffering. How do we deal with this? How do we think about this? And and yet still trusting in God, uh, having these conversations about what God promises. And we see that, that when Jesus responds to her, uh, when she makes the statement, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, he says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha doesn't, very clearly doesn't understand what, uh, what Jesus is, is saying when he tells her that her brother will rise again, and she responds with this idea uh, that was understood and agreed upon by many of the religious uh, Jews at the time. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and many of uh, the general Jewish population did as well. They look back at Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, at Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that there was this promise of, in the last day, and this is what she says, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, this future thing to come. But she says it in a way that it's like, it's this cliche, it's this platitude, it's it would be equivalent to us today saying oh you'll see them in heaven one day and 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 we may rightly believe that but it just feels like this thing to kind of this cliche that just pushes the reality over to the side it's this yeah yeah okay the resurrection of the last day. oh yeah we'll see them in, in, in heaven and we, we won't get into all the ways that we misunderstand heaven as a goal for the Christian life but but this, this idea that, oh, that's just something to come. Does it really matter now? What what effect does that hope in the future have uh, for right now in the midst of this loss and this suffering that Martha was experiencing? And Jesus, I believe, speaks into that. I I think it's also helpful to note, again, it's the passage that wasn't read. It was right after this, but it's also helpful to note that there's another response from Mary, Martha's sister, and we tend to have both of these responses and maybe go back and forth or maybe have them simultaneously that she asks these questions or she makes the statement, the same complaint. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she weeps. It's this idea of wailing and pouring her heart out, this deep emotion. And, and she, in the midst of that uh, deep emotion and that deep uh, pain, Jesus joins her in it. Uh, The, the, verse that uh, many like to check off their scripture memory verses, John 11:33. 33, Jesus wept. That's it, that's the verse, uh, you could all memorize it right now, I bet. Um, Jesus wept, and, and, and when I was little and uh, in elementary school and doing scripture memory, it was, oh yeah, I got, that. I got that one, check it off the list, and it was this little funny joke, know the shortest uh, verse in the Bible, and yet, There is beautiful and amazing truth here. Incredible implications that Jesus himself, that God, the second person of the Trinity, entered into this world and wept over the loss of a friend, that wept in the face of death, that lamented the brokenness of what was happening. Uh, That is incredibly significant. And that speaks actually to how Jesus deals with the mess, how Jesus steps into it. But right before we move into that, I think it's helpful to know that we have to take time to acknowledge that things are not the way they're supposed to be, that there is absolutely suffering in this world. And again, we've talked about it over the last number of weeks where it's in our face right now uh, as a community, as a, as a, uh, a nation, uh, as the whole world, as a global community, this, this suffering is in front of us in ways that it hasn't been. But maybe you're dealing personally with something else, something even more. You you have uh, experienced uh, abuse or you've lost a loved one or uh, a significant relationship has fallen apart. There are all kinds of ways in which uh, we experience loss or in which we will experience loss. And Uh, And it it is important to acknowledge that reality, to say that this is not the way that it's supposed to be, to do what Martha and Mary both do, to complain to God and yet look to him and trust, because the reality is he comes and meets us, he weeps with us, he engages with us in our questions and brings us hope. How does Jesus deal with the mess and the suffering? He steps into it. And Martha acknowledges this uh, in her response uh, in her conversation with Jesus, at the end of their interaction, and in, um, in, in verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming <clears throat> into the world, and she's, she's uh, alluding to Psalm 118, that, that speaks of the Messiah, the Savior, coming into the world, stepping into this mess. We're talking incarnation here. We're talking about God meeting his people where they are, experiencing the brokenness of himself, experiencing the loss of a loved one, the loss of Lazarus. Jesus is experiencing that. He steps into it himself. He, he engages Martha in this intellectual conversation. He weeps with Mary. Jesus is coming into the mess himself, and he brings hope he, he steps into it and he promises something more. Hear what he says. I'm the resurrection and the life. Verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. They're incredible promises here. The, the promise of, of not dying, and he's speaking, I believe, here to both physical and spiritual death he, when he says in verse 25, though he die, yet shall he live, he's, he's speaking to the fact that we will physically die, and, and, and yet he will live, is the promise. Yet there is this promise we know of resurrection for ourselves. There is the, the promise of eternal life. There is the promise of not being overcome by death and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I think he's getting to the idea of this spiritual life, this spiritual death. If, if he lives, spiritually lives. We go back to chapter three of John, the, this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus about uh, the necessity of being born again, born again to this spiritual life. There's the promise of that eternally. And, and, and there's a, a sense in which... Uh, what he's promising here can't even be fully comprehended by Martha or Mary or, or even us. Now seeing some of the bigger picture, he's he's giving these, these significant promises. He's offering more than was expected. When, when he says to, to Martha, first of all, your brother will rise again, she doesn't get it. Yeah, I know he's gonna raise, he's gonna be raised on the last day. But what she gets is more than that. And I'm not just talking about the fact that Jesus is about to actually raise Lazarus from the dead, and that's what happens uh, in the next section. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but not only that, he is promising himself to be resurrection and life for Martha, for Mary, for Lazarus, for all those who believe in him and follow him. that's That's more than saying, I offer resurrection. And life. That's that's more than saying I, I'm gonna give you resurrection and the life. He he is saying that I am the resurrection and the life. He's he's claiming to have to himself be the power of life and death itself, that he has control over all of it. This is an incredibly divine claim, right? This doesn't fit in with, oh, he's he's just a good teacher. This claim of I am the resurrection, I have power over death itself. I have power of life itself. That promise that I made in the previous chapter that we talked about last week, that he's come to offer life and offer it abundantly, that comes from him, from us being connected to him, from us being offered relationship with him. And here's where we, we maybe have heard, if we've been in the church for any period of time, that Christianity is, it's a relationship, not, not a religion. And um, we could talk about the definitions of those things, but it is absolutely unique in the Offer of relationship with the creator himself that we looked at just a, a few number of weeks ago, just at the end of last year, Romans six, and this reality that we are united to Christ. And when we're united to him, we're united to him as the one who is resurrection and is life himself. And so he goes on to complete this miracle, this sign of who he is the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus from the dead. Again, this isn't just something that a, a really good teacher can do. I mean, imagine that you're at a funeral, and somebody walks in and, and raises the dead person, uh, and walks up to the casket and raises them. This is this is something that is not expected at that time. It would not be expected now. It is beyond our comprehension. It, it, we wouldn't even begin to know how we would respond in a situation like that. And Here's the claim that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but... In this statement from Jesus of, I am the resurrection and the life, he's, he's promising us something more than this. If, if it ended with this resurrection, this resurrection of Lazarus, w- w- what's the reality? Lazarus dies after this. He dies a second time. Maybe he's just added uh, more pain and more mourning because uh, his death has to be mourned all over again. At this point in, in history, Lazarus has, has been dead for about 2,000 years. Uh, And the same is true for Mary and Martha and all his followers that he's promising resurrection and life for. We know that in his claim to be the resurrection and the life, he's promising us what is to come. He's promising us, one, what's about to happen for him. He's about to head to Jerusalem. And In fact, what we find uh, in this chapter, chapter 11, is that because Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there enters into the story a plot to kill Jesus. Jesus is going to die because he raises Lazarus. He is headed himself to die. And so when he claims to be the resurrection and the life, he is headed to his own death and his own resurrection. And then we know that that resurrection is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits for us. That because Jesus rises from the dead, we will rise from the dead. There's this promise of what is to come for us. Here's what Jesus is saying. All things, ultimate things, all hope is to be found in me, in relationship with me. We think about the suffering that we experience. What are the ways that we're seeking to fix the suffering, to overcome it, to to stand up in in the midst of it? How do we seek utopia in this world? Seeking to make all things right. Do we do it politically Or socially, or maybe even religiously, we think that going to church and being a part of a church and doing particular uh, rituals—that those things will provide exactly what we need. And 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 we think that a lot of those things are important. We think that engaging politically and socially, those things matter. And yet, what Jesus is saying is none of those bring real and ultimate hope. Those will all be put to shame and death. That I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who offers hope. And so the question becomes. Finally, how do we respond to what Jesus is saying and what he's promised? The first thing I think is that we have to affirm suffering. We have to step into it, not deny it, not avoid it, not think that it's not something that is real or not just to seek to numb it, but to step into it in a way that allows us to step through it. As Jesus did into the mess of this world, as he came into this world and experienced it himself, as he experienced death itself, to then find resurrection on the other side. We need to be able to do that ourselves. And in the midst of the suffering, we're asked this question that that Martha is asked Do you believe? Do you believe this? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, He's given these promises of if you believe, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because he he's saying that it does matter, that it does have implications. You, you know, maybe as we ask that question, do we believe this? Do I believe this? Am I am I trusting in this? We look at the suffering that we're experiencing, the the division and the lack of unity and the mess of this world, and we ask. What are we doing in the midst of pandemic and all these other things to make it through to another day? Where are we putting hope in the midst of that? Uh, Are we seeking to numb ourselves through TV or alcohol or other substances or sex or work or other things? Are we we seeking to to numb the pain and the brokenness of the things going on? Are we seeking to find hope in, in something else? Politics or a social movement uh, we, we see a lot of that, a lot of the hope very clearly on both sides, so much hope put in a political party or a political person. And, and it's, again, appropriate to engage in those conversations, to, to, to be hopeful for certain things from certain politicians. And, and, and yet what we find is that both Republicans and Democrats and platforms and actions and all those things, that there are so many ways that, that push against the truth of the gospel on all sides. And so Jesus is reminding us that the hope lies in him, that, uh, that all of those other things, even if they might bring some temporary hope here, that, that the problem is that they are put to shame and death. And so we're called to look forward to the resurrection. What, what does that look like for us? How do we do that? We can look back to the past. We can say, if only this had been different because we have the memories of the way that things were. It can be hard to look forward to hope when Romans 8 tells us that hope is something that we don't see. We, we hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. And yet what we find here in this passage is, is Jesus giving us the ability to, to look forward a little bit, to, to, to hope by giving us glimpses of what it might look like. Many of you know that um, we applied for the sabbatical grant through Lilly, um, and didn't didn't receive it for this year, but uh, for a number of reasons, we've decided to put off sabbatical to next year, and we'll apply again. One of the the fun things, whether we get that or not, has been to to dream about what this grant would allow, and, and specifically a, a trip for the family to to Europe to do these once in a lifetime things, right? So, um, uh, we, but it's hard to even imagine doing something like that because we've never done anything close to that before. But we can begin to imagine it because there are travel websites and there are books, because there are stories from other people, because of things that we have experienced. And we can kind of begin to piece those things together and have some vision for what it might look like, to dream and hope for what it might look like if that were to uh, ever happen. But we need some of those glimpses, right? Without it, we we can't even begin to imagine. I, I would actually argue that the hope of what is to come, the resurrection that comes through Jesus, is is really beyond our imagination. And yet, we receive glimpses of that hope. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus weeping with Mary in the midst of suffering. Jesus coming alongside Martha and having this conversation about the hope that comes in hand. These things are are glimpses of the hope that is offered to us. And we find them all throughout the scripture all of the bible is full of these glimpses of of what is to come the the lion and the lamb laying down together the uh the child playing over the cobra's den uh, this peace that will come in in the future the question for us is do we believe and it's a little bit of a challenge do we believe in this or do we believe our hope is somewhere else May we look to Jesus, the resurrection and the life for all our hope, Let me pray. Lord, meet us uh, in times of suffering, both th- that which we're experiencing because of the pandemic or because of divisions in our country, uh, Lord, because of events that we're experiencing as individuals or families. May we find hope in you who are the resurrection and the life. You are able to allow us to find this hope, and we pray that you would. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.